This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children, including God, hell, church, and Jesus. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and normally I am joined by my friend Natalie, but uh, she is not feeling 100% this week, so it's just going to be me for at least the intro and outro segments of the show here, but she'll be back next week, hopefully, unless she uh, succumbs to the plague or something like that. So because it's my podcast, I thought I would just go ahead and talk about something that's been bothering me for a little bit. Instead of doing our normal God of the Week, I'm going to talk just a second about internet trolls and how people so often use this term to try to dismiss arguments presented to them online in a discussion. And really, we're looking at people like Food Babe and others. But someone is not a troll purely because they're offering dissent. The real OG of wikis, which is Urban Dictionary, defines trolling as the art of deliberately, cleverly, and secretly pissing people off. And that's exactly what it is. The troll goal is to garner a reaction, oftentimes is negative. The goal isn't simply to make people upset, it's to do it in a manner that will also confuse the onlooker. It's kind of similar to Poe's Law, where Poe's Law is a form of satire where the author parodies an extreme view, but does so in a manner that seems to be genuine. And a good Poe is nearly indistinguishable from reality. Uh, Like a headline like, Donald Trump announces deportations to begin next week, or Trump speaks with himself for foreign policy advice. Except the last one was a real actual headline based on a statement Trump actually made. So in the style of not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles, trolling is not just making mean statements towards someone online, like calling somebody ugly or stupid or fat. That's not trolling. That's called flaming, and that's just being a dick. It's not clever, it's not funny, and it's not trolling. So when people like Food Babe talk about how they deal with trolls or how you should handle trolls or complain about people trolling her, she's creating an argument based on a false premise. And sure, there's a bunch of idiots out there who are content to just flame Vanny, but these aren't trolls. They're just being dicks. What Vanny's doing is referring to dissension online as trolling, which is far from the correct term to be using. She and others of her elk dismiss criticism by claiming the criticism is coming from trolls. Offering dissent is not trolling. Because remember, the troll is someone who is deliberately, cleverly, and secretly trying to piss you off. Telling someone they're wrong, then backing that statement up with evidence is not trolling. Yeah, you're being deliberate and clever, but you're openly and not secretly pissing the person off, and you're doing so with facts. And it's okay to piss people off if they're wrong. All right, tonight we are excited to be joined by Herb Silverman. Herb Silverman is the founder of Secular Coalition for America, founder of the Secular Humanists of the Low Country in Charleston, South Carolina, and founder and former faculty advisor to the College of Charleston Student Atheist Humanist Alliance. He's a board member of the American Humanist Association, advisory board member of the Secular Student Alliance, an on-faith blogger for the Washington Post Online, and author of Candidate Without a Prayer. So um, you've done a little bit. He does does all the things, it seems like. (laughs) He does everything, and thank you for joining us tonight. I'm happy to be here. Um, Awesome. So um, we're going to start by talking about your autobiography, Candidate Without a Prayer, which I I recently read and recommend to all of our listeners to like go on Amazon and get it on your Kindle or buy a paper copy. I actually have both because um, I bought the real book and thought I lost it, then bought the Kindle version and then found the real book. Thank you, Jesus, I guess, <laughs> or something. <laughs> Well, well it, it, you forgot the Holy Ghost part because there's, oh, there's also, yeah. also an audio of it, too. Oh, man. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I guess I need to have the whole Trinity to be complete. <laughs> so I want to start with just asking, like, what inspired you to write your autobiography? Well, I guess aside from my wife's urging me to write my autobiography, 
I think it was probably my successful state Supreme Court victory that now allows atheists to hold public office in South Carolina. At the time, it felt good just to come out of the closet as an atheist, but now I've taken it one step further and come out of the closet with my entire life. So I wanted I wanted to kind of talk about a few of the different like stories and anecdotes from your book um, that I just you know there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, but it seems like from an early age you had this sort of desire to be a person who like sticks up for your own rights and other people's rights. And there was a story about you um, speaking at a union meeting when you were fairly young. And can you maybe tell us that story? Yeah, sure. This is when I was 16 years old and I was uh, selling like hot dogs and orange drinks at the ballpark. And uh, it was unionized, but very loosely. In fact, like we would have a union meeting uh, once a month for about two minutes. Uh, But at one point, they raised the price of uh, uh, Coca-Cola from that I was selling from 25. It was 25 cents. But then they started uh, having a penny sales tax on it. And I said at the union meeting that, you know, it's very difficult for us to make like 74 cents change for a dollar. So why not just eat that extra penny uh, so that we can just charge 25 cents? The other people who were selling were afraid of their job, so they never said anything. But then they started grumbling, too. And eventually they changed it so uh, it was easier for all of us selling for 25 instead of 26 cents. But I didn't think of sticking my neck out. I was just trying to be rational that it's easier for us and they'll probably get more of a commission, more sales if we don't have to waste time uh, with that extra penny that we had to deal with. So, so yes, being rational, I guess, is a theme for your life in general, because, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you continued to build upon. And, and, then, and then there's the math, right? Because mathematics became a big part of your life, too. Yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, mathematics, and that also kind of led me to reading about Bertrand Russell. I kind of by accident picked up his Why I Am Not a Christian And that was the first time I saw anything negative about religion. And I didn't believe in God at the time, but I I didn't even know what an atheist was. And I saw he was as many knots as I was. And that's when I learned that I was an atheist. So it was in that, that was kind of your aha, like moment that, that you, would you say then you really identified as like giving yourself that name? Yes, and also seeing how rational he was on other controversial issues that I didn't hear talked about. And knowing that he was a mathematician, maybe somewhere in my mind that got me interested in becoming one myself. So that's so it was kind of a multi level of inspiration there. Right. Getting that. Oh, that's that's really neat. Um, So then. Obviously, like your, you know, your beliefs continued to play a big role in your life. Um, but you, you entered politics or <laughs> attempted to enter politics, right? With um, a run for governor of South Carolina. Yeah. Like, well, what, what made you do that? You know, it wasn't even an interest <laughs> in entering politics. It yeah. was a, a colleague of mine at the College of Charleston pointed out that atheists are not allowed to hold the office of governor according to our South Carolina Constitution. So I knew that was obviously uh, uh, against the U.S. Constitution. So I went to the ACLU to see how this could be changed. And the ACLU lawyer told me that uh, someone would have to become a plaintiff by running for governor. And he told me that I'm probably the best person around to do that. I didn't see any other people volunteering to run for governor. Uh, So I uh, 
said, okay, I'll do it, assuming that the powers to, uh, uh, in charge would say, of course, we wouldn't take that seriously, and they would change the Constitution. But to my surprise, they took it very seriously. So then I had to conduct a campaign for uh, becoming governor. Wow. I mean, like, it's just <laughs> like th- that kind of story, like that that actually happens. Like you're. Well, and, you know. and even even today, though, isn't are there there's a few states like there's like at least like five or six states where it's technically on the books illegal to hold office as an atheist. Is that is, is that still accurate? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But other states, they've already said, you know, we're not going to enforce it because it's unconstitutional. And I know even in South Carolina, it's still on the books, even though I won a court case that said it can't be enforced. Because in order to change the Constitution, it requires a referendum where more than 50% of the voters say to take it out. And that's not yet going to happen yeah, in South say, Carolina. Yeah, Probably they, not in my lifetime, but I'm hoping the younger people will change things enough that one day not only will uh, that not be in the Constitution, but where open atheists can hold public office all around the country, including South Carolina. Well, I think they're a- still they're still debating who can pee where in South Carolina. If I'm not wrong, <laughs> no, that's North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Get, get okay. your Carolinas my, right. My fault. Yeah. My fault. That, that's one of the that's one of the few issues where South Carolina is better than North Carolina. So I'm proud of that. Yeah. So you see, this you is know, just typical. You know, yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe in typical Midwestern thinking everything over over there is all the same in the Carolinas. Right. <laughs> Well, like, and along with the the public office, everything. I mean, the fact it. How long did it take you just to become a notary public? <laughs> well, the reason I became a notary public to begin with is, you know, I I did get a court ruling while I was running for governor, where the judge said he would uh, only uh, rule about the constitutionality if I won the election for governor. Well, that was his way of not doing anything. And of course, I lost the uh, gubernatorial race. And then uh, I talked with my ACLU lawyer and we found out that not only am I ineligible for governor, but I was ineligible for any public office. And the only one where I uh, it didn't require uh, a popular election was notary public. So that's why uh, I applied for my notary public. And, and yeah, took a while. And, yeah. And then what happened, uh, uh, I crossed out the so help me God part of my application and the governor turned me down for notary public. Well, that gave us the, uh, the court challenge. And uh, we even had a deposition where he uh, ha- first said that he didn't have to give reasons for turning me down as notary public because it took too much time. But we then found out that there were over 33,000 applicants in a period of time, and I was the only one turned down as notary public. Huh. Probably, fun, the, only fun, one in, probably the only one in the history to be turned down because normally you just pay your $25 and they approve. It's not like it's a real tough job. <laughs> No, and it's fun. Well, we we actually just um, on this week's episode, we're talking to somebody who got denied a um, a license plate because it was an atheist type of license plate, and they like actually in Pennsylvania used a red pen and were pretty much just like denied. I mean, <laughs> they wrote it twice. They wrote it denied in, in red two spots pen. on the application. They said denied, denied, like all caps. Like, well, okay. that seems like a, an easy court case that they can win. Oh, they didn't oh, even. They didn't. They yeah, won, they that's have, already. That's they, done. They, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> so there were. I know. There, I lived in Pennsylvania, and generally, 
there's some ridiculous things, but they're a lot more sensible there than in South Carolina. <laughs> well, because they got the um, FFRF with them and Andrew Seidel, um, the lawyer for Freedom From Religion Foundation, right. just took, took their business on that. So oh, they were, the guy wasn't waiting for seven years for his license plate <laughs> like you were waiting seven years to become a notary because that's normal. Well, well, I don't know about the license plate, but I really wasn't waiting seven years to be a notary. Yeah, I was just waiting exactly. for the law to change. You're, you're just doing it. <laughs> Doing something yeah, because yeah. you were told you can't. Yeah, it, it wasn't that my lifelong dream was to become a <laughs> no. Oh, that see that that's my lifelong dream. I just I just want to be I want to be an atheist notary. That's that's what I'm on well, this planet. Well, with. in a sense, it did become my dream. I didn't know it at the, at the time because uh, that actually helped in a lot of ways because I got a lot of publicity. People mm-hmm. said called me and said, "Gee, I thought." I was the only atheist in South Carolina, and I started getting uh, their names, and we formed the community uh, that helped us start our Secular Humanists of the Low Country organization. And so, how, yeah. So, like, how important do you think it is to be to be out as an as an atheist? And I, I think it's incredibly important. Because my goal all along, as you know, was not to be a notary, but to change the hearts and minds of some of my fellow South Carolinians, that we can be ethical and moral without any belief in gods. And just as it worked for the LGBT community, when people would come out and their friends and neighbors and even family members would find out that they were gay, that changed the views of a lot of people about gays, and the same would hold for atheists, that the more people come out uh, who they've already thought are decent, respectable people, the more likely uh, we are to be viewed as reasonable, where we're judged by what we do, not by our professed religious beliefs. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely, I think, misconceptions around what it is to be an atheist. Like, just because we don't believe in any gods, it doesn't mean that we don't believe in anything. You know, it's like, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like, even like the term non-believers because yeah. we believe in a lot of things. We just happen not to believe in any deities. Obviously. Yeah. Like I, I agree with you as far as the whole, um, you know, non-believer um, label goes because you are right. I mean, we, we believe in many things about people and the world and doing good. And um, I, I don't, I'm like losing track if it was you that said it, or if this is a conversation that I've had with somebody else recently, but the idea of like living a good or even better life without God, can we like talk about that a little bit? Sure. In fact, uh, I think we can live a better life without God. In fact, we all live lives without God. It's just that some of us know that we're living lives without God. <laughs> but but people who do things because they fear eternal damnation or to get a reward, in my mind, isn't living a moral life. Uh, we do good because it's the right thing to do, not because of uh, future rewards or punishments that we expect in an afterlife. And that's well, that's definitely an interesting way of s- saying that. The because that's what it is. It's it's you're only doing something because you think there's going to be some sort of reward at the end. It's like it's like whenever I'm trying to get my kids to <laughs> to just just stop doing whatever they're doing for like a minute so I can get dinner ready or, or whatever. I you know, you're you're doing whatever you can possibly do just just in that moment because you know, you you want some sort of reward. You, you have some sort of goal at the end instead of just and this, maybe this is where the, the comparison fails, uh, but just doing the right thing just because, you know, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And well, I think when you mention your kids, like probably around Christmas time, a lot of kids think, right. well, I need to be good because uh, somebody's watching me all the time yeah. and Santa will reward me. But I do like in the song, be good for goodness sake. Uh, yeah, and and Santa doesn't send you to hell, so I prefer Santa to to God. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take Santa over over God any day, especially like 
super angry Old Testament God. I'm 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 all for Santa in that well, that's, regard. That's the Old Testament. I mean, I think I think we we know that that doesn't count. That was just a that was just a rough draft. Well, yeah, well yeah, ac- yeah. actually, in some sense, the New Testament is worse mm-hmm. in that the uh, the Old Testament just had a wrathful God. But you die and you die. There was no talk about going to hell. It's the New Testament that talks about hell. And not only that, it doesn't matter so much what you do. You just have to believe the right thing. And if you don't believe, then you're still going to hell, even if you lived a good moral life. Well, and then the issue, too, is that, you know, people are doing things in the name of religion and belief that are just so against what I think is being a you know, moral, good human. I mean, when you think of the ways, you know, people use religion to enact laws and government and talk about, you know, women's rights or, you know, gay rights. And it, it just, it baffles me that this is supposed to be like, you know. Well, it depends on your idea of morality. Is yeah. morality to do well with other human beings or is it to please God? Right. And that's part of the problem with uh, conservative religions where it's more about belief than about behavior and what uh, God wants versus what uh, uh, human beings want. Yeah. You know, were, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah I, I've been in a number of debates uh, on, uh, especially down in South Carolina, can you be moral without a belief in God? And... You know, I, I try to make the case, as I pointed out earlier, that we are that's how we become moral by doing what's right. But in the comments we make to each other, I always like to ask uh, uh, my reverend opponent, uh, how would you behave differently if you stopped believing in God? And often uh, they have a uh, trouble answering, but one answer I especially liked was when the minister told me that uh, he's often tempted by other women, uh, but he doesn't do anything because of his love for Jesus, (laughs) knowing how it would hurt Jesus. No, That that gave me the perfect answer. Yeah, I'm tempted by other women, but because of uh, my love... For my wife, Sharon, I don't do anything. Right. And and I could see even the minister's wife liked my answer better than his. Well, yeah, because he's like, I'm I'm not cheating on you because of my imaginary Mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. And and it's what your imaginary friend wants. And sometimes you could read passages where your imaginary friend wants you to kill the infidel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but let, let's let's pick and choose the parts that work for our lives uh-huh. and the parts that we want to impose yeah. on the rest of society. But let's forget all the other stuff because yeah. whatever, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, but yes, this is why it is important, I think, to to continue having these like conversations and just put out there how ridiculous a lot of it is. I mean, your answer was perfect. Like, how do you argue with that? Like, you. You can't, really. Well, uh, unless uh, this life is just a preparation for the afterlife and following what Jesus wants you to do is all that this life is about. Man, I I would rather enjoy my life now. Yeah. Than so I, I was just that. saying you can't yeah, argue know. with that, but it's not a good argument. No, it, it is. It's, it's, such, it's such a terrible terrible argument um yes so all all of your your work you know kind of led in some ways to forming secular coalition at one point right Um, right can you talk a little bit about what secular coalition is and kind of just what it means to have this coalition sure you know i i had joined prior to that a number of different atheist and humanist organizations that were all doing uh, good work, and I supported them, but they seemed to ignore all of the other organizations trying to promote their being uh, the uh, biggest fish in a rather small pond. And I thought they were all spending too much time arguing about minor differences. 
like whether to call yourself an atheist, agnostic, humanist, whatever, and just too little time cooperating on what we have in common and working on issues that benefit all secular Americans. So that's why I formed a coalition. Uh, the secular coalition started with four national organizations and has now grown to 18. Wow. We have a, a dedicated staff of five people, not quite what the religious right has, <laughs> but it's a start. And we incorporated as a political advocacy group to allow unlimited lobbying on behalf of secular Americans in D.C. You can check our work at uh, secular.org. And I hope you'll sign up for our action alerts and, and help with us because the, the idea is we want to show we're a broad coalition with lots of atheists and humanists, and we're hoping to get nuns involved as well. Uh, the more we can get to come out as atheists, the better. And part of our mission is to increase the visibility and respect of non-theistic viewpoints. And of course, separation of church and state is an important component as well. And we're working kind of like following the Christian coalition, trying to uh, work in all 50 states and uh, have school boards representation. Uh, we're trying to do the opposite of what they do in just about all ways, but we're following their model. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, they've been pretty successful in their yeah. model yeah. because they're, they're there. And all groups prior had advocacy uh, representation on Capitol Hill, and Congress members pay attention, attention to it. We have some good lobbyists, but I think more important than a good lobbyist is to walk into a, a Congress member's office and say, here's our... Uh, 800 people in our district that are part of our coalition, and they're going to care about how you vote on this issue, whether it's gay rights, separation of church and state, uh, women's right to choose. And uh, for a lot of members of Congress, their religion is getting reelected. Mm -hmm. so, so they are interested in what a large group of their constituents have to offer. So, uh, so it's just doing that advocacy for this whole, I mean, right. we, there's a lot of us and we, we vote. And so yeah. these votes are important and, mm -hmm. and the voices are important to be out there. And, and pri prior to that, we've uh, been pretty silent about it because uh, atheists and humanists value their independence and have not been joiners like religious people are who listen to a leader. We don't have any dictators in charge. Uh, we listen to rational arguments, but the rational argument we make now is we need to cooperate uh, because of what's happening to our country that had been moving closer to a theocracy, and we want to uh, keep America secular. <laughs> yes. To make yes. America secular again could yeah, be our let, slogan. Yeah, let's do let's do that because yes. make America great again is not working out very well for us right now. Well, um, unfortunately, it's not working out very well for uh, for Trump either at this point. I don't think so. Good. Well, uh, by making America secular again, will America make America greater again? Yes. Yes. That that will then we can take ownership of making America. Um, great again <laughs> or, or just great i don't i don't even know if the again i don't i don't know how it really works but um well his again might mean when only men were allowed to vote or only whites were allowed to vote because he might actually win the election if only white men could vote. Oh yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I've seen. So that's what that's yeah. his make yeah. America great, I suppose. Yeah. So let so everybody needs to go vote so that America is not great like that again. So speaking of politics, um, an idea that you brought up that is obviously so true is in your book is the idea of um, political Christians. That it seems like in order for people to be elected to you know, public office, they need to profess some deeply held religious beliefs. Like, 
Can you talk a little bit about that idea and maybe how or if that can be shifted? Yeah, yeah we know already through the Secular Coalition there are at least 27 members of Congress who have no religious belief, but they feel the need uh, to at least pretend. Uh, I, I use the phrase political Christian. It started here in South Carolina where uh, our governor who was raised as a Sikh, uh, said she uh, believed in God on her website, and some people were still upset that wasn't enough, so she changed it to, I'm a good Christian and I follow what Jesus says, and I'm pretty confident uh, it doesn't mean anything to her except to get elected. And I think that's how it is with a lot of uh, our politicians who don't care one way or another about religion, but unlike issues that they have to vote on, they can say that they're religious and uh, you can't prove them wrong. Because even uh, President Obama, who was uh, raised by an atheist father and admired his mother, who was a humanist and had her values, he called himself an agnostic until he ran for office. Then he became a Christian. Maybe he had a, a real conversion. My guess is that he's another political Christian. Yeah, because it's you're more electable that way, yeah. right? Because it's there's something right. what like trustworthy about a Christian. Well, well, I think it's uh, uh, liberalized, so to speak. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian. You could be a Jew, too. Okay, yeah. Because uh, well, well, instead of calling us a Christian country, people are saying a Judeo-Christian country. Interestingly to me, like in this current election, I think there are at least uh, two atheists who have been run for public office. Like Bernie Sanders, I'm guessing, is not the only Jewish... Uh, socialists who believes in God. All the other Jewish socialists I know are atheists, but he'll define God in some kind of a amorphous way that anybody could say they're a believer, like, I yeah. believe in good works, and that's what my God wants. Right. And, uh, but I wish he would come out of the closet, just like Barney Frank was the first uh, gay member of Congress to come out. He came out as an atheist, though, after he retired. He wouldn't when he was running. Mm -hmm. And I think there's one other atheist, I think, who's currently running. And that's despite what he says. I think Donald Trump is an atheist. Oh, yeah. I, oh, can't, yeah. I can't picture him believing in a power higher than himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't quote anything from the Bible. <laughs> but yes. which just shows that just like there are good and bad atheists, good and bad Christians, good and bad Jews, he, in my mind, is an example of a bad atheist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a bad human being. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, want, I want almost all atheists to come out of the closet. I just assume uh, Trump stay in the closet. Yeah, I don't think we want to claim him for no. our... <laughs> our side here you know um, if i if i wrote a daily paper uh i think i know what my headline would be uh on november 9th after the election that to me would summarize everything that's happened in this election my two-word headline would be trump pussy whipped <laughs> there there there's the headline on every paper across america <laughs> Um, on November 9th. Or at least it should be. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, I want to like talk a little bit about just the idea of like the importance of positive atheism. Like you wear the t-shirt that says like smile, there's no hell. Like we, it's not, it's not all, you know, angry. You know, we hate, we like, we don't hate God. God just isn't real. Like it's, I mean, how like how can we spread that message to people that life's just okay and good? Uh, there's this misconception that I hear a lot of times, like, why are atheists so 
mean and angry, and especially like, why do you hate God? And of course, atheists don't hate God any more than we hate the tooth fairy. It's religious people who might sometimes hate God because they believe in God. And we want to say there might be some atheists who are angry with justification uh, when there are laws that discriminate against them and therefore separation of church and state. But most are quiet atheists who go along living kind and decent lives who have a sense of humor. And I, I like to be able to show my sense of humor when I can just to help people avoid stereotypes of atheists. And again, the more people that come out as uh, an atheist and people say, hey, I've always liked that person, uh, the more likely uh, they will get rid of their stereotypes. Just like, frankly, I did when I was a teenager uh, before you people were born in the 1950s. And I thought, you know, gays were all a bunch of perverts because that's what I was told. I thought I didn't know any gays, which I did, but they were in the closet at that time. Had they been out then, uh, my uh, view of gays would have been very different. So it's about kind of everybody who embraces, even just within themselves, being an atheist, to just be proud of that and to be out with that. And then it's just like, you know, it's just the person that lives next door to you or the person, yeah. you know, that, that you see dropping off their your child at school. Like, we're all just, you know, normal, mm -hmm. like people. And I, I just, I think the, the narrative of the, the happy atheist needs to yeah. be written yeah. a little bit more. See, see, I wouldn't even say that I'm proud of being an atheist any more than I'd say I'm proud of being a round earther. It yeah. just seems like a rational <laughs> thing to be. Yeah. And uh, because I accept that the earth is round, uh, doesn't make me a mean person or do anything bad. I just happen to be an atheist because I try to live a rational life and look for evidence. And then I talk about the humanist side of my atheism about the positive things in life I do. So I want to show that people are good without any gods. And that's what can change the atheist stereotype. And so, I mean, there are definitely people who, you know, for me, I know it was very easy to, to it's easy to tell people, even to tell my family, you know, like, I'm an atheist, this is it, because, well, I guess none, none of my family members believe in God anyways, but um, so I, so I'm fortunate in that regard, but there might be people listening who are not in such a fortunate situation where they can be open or feel that they can be open with, you know, the lack of belief. Um, what's your advice for, you know, somebody who is maybe struggling to be out with the, with their atheism? Well, first of all, I didn't like what you just said. Uh, the fr I don't like the phrase lack of belief. I don't think it's a lack. Uh, lack sounds like it's a bad thing. I'm yeah. very happy uh, to be rational and to be religion free. So, it, oh, religion. Okay, I like yeah, religion yeah, free. I yeah, like that. rather than lacking something like lacking eyesight or something. That's true. All right, religion free. I I will I will always remember that now. <laughs> but you know, some people it's much easier to be out than uh, it is for others, depending on your family. You might not want to hurt family members, but I think it's good to have uh, a talk with uh, family members, even if they're religious. Sometimes you'll find out that they're not as religious as you think they are, and talk about the things that you have in common and things that are different. And, you know, I just happen not to believe in God but I'm still the same kind and decent per person that I always was, and I hope we can get along. Uh, we can talk about religion, but if we can't convince each other of our, that one of us is wrong, then we can still have uh, uh, a lot of things in common, and we can still you know, like each other as family members and work together. And all right, so so that's kind of on the personal level. And then on sort of the larger 
level of our of our country right now as we're kind of on the verge of a of a presidential election and things of you know separation of church and state are you know well a little shaky like, still like, i would say directly I, under assault saying like, that preachers can, I mean, well we want to yeah. we want to allow nonprofits to be able to endorse candidates and things mm-hmm. like that including churches like how how do we get to a place where we are a secular nation well, in that, uh, you know, I don't just hang around with fellow atheists and humanists. I like to work with liberal religious people as well mm-hmm. who uh, don't stereotype atheists. And we shouldn't stereotype all religious people as bad. An organization I like is Americans United for Separation of Church and State. And the Secular Coalition and other people can work with those organizations uh, to keep a secular country regardless of religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like another term, uh, even for religious people, uh, uh, the phrase functional atheists. They might believe in a God, but the way they function in the real life, they uh, – you use evidence, they're rational, and live their life as if they're an atheist. And if they reach that point, I'm fine, because uh, what they believe about something is not as important to me as what they do in life and how they mm-hmm. treat their fellow human beings. Yeah. And, then and I feel like if, if more people, if more people came to like establish their belief systems based like in that manner then just by by nature of of forming your beliefs like that you're going to have more people mm-hmm. that do take a secular worldview on yeah and some criticism i have of hardline atheists is when they say religious people are just stupid assholes or something this alienates uh, religious people who might not be like Pat Robertson, and it can give atheists a bad name uh, that fits into a stereotype of how intolerant we are. Yeah, those are the Pat Robertsons, though, of the atheism movement. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody within the atheism, skepticism movement, nobody respects those people because they're not stupid. They're they just have been brought up to believe something completely crazy, and it's not their fault that that's yeah. that that you know they're if anything they're they're victims of that. Just like. Uh, you know, and we say the same thing about people who are anti-GMO, anti-vaccine. Thing. Like yeah. most of those people are victims of fear-mongering and kind of low-level brainwashing in, the, in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's you know, right. I, I enjoy, say, talking to atheist or humanist groups, but I much prefer talking or getting into a debate uh, with religious people because I want them to hear about an atheist from an atheist rather than mm-hmm. from what their minister tells them. Yeah. And so, I'm not expecting instant converts, but sometimes they'll hear a thing that they had never thought of before and a light bulb might go off. That, And I've heard that even a year later, you know, you set me thinking and now I stop believing too. <laughs> but at the very least, uh, I want them at the end of a debate to come out with the view that, you know, atheists can be kind and decent people too, uh, saying he's wrong and he's going to hell, but at least he <laughs> seems like a nice guy. And sometimes after a debate where the minister might sound nasty, uh, I'll get a compliment that you acted more like a Christian than the minister did. And I'll say, thank you, but no, I didn't. I acted like an atheist. Right. Uh, And and, uh, then point out, you know, they're good and bad Christians, good and bad atheists, and let's treat each other as individuals. It's not just about belief, it's about behavior. Right. And you can and you can criticize a belief and you can, you know, call to light things about a belief without being, you know, nasty. Yeah, so it's yeah. like tempering it's, the criticism with kindness, and that yeah, goes along. Yeah, we just happen to disagree on our belief. 
we disagree on whether to be a vegetarian or a meat eater. We can disagree on a lot of things, and let's discuss it in a reasonable fashion and then move on to other things, some of which we might agree on uh, and not agree on. Yeah. So being reasonable people is kind of the, the goal, and hopefully that can maybe eventually lead to us having a more reasonable country. Yeah. On a and I'm guessing uh, the more people we convince to be reasonable and to listen to evidence, uh, the more likely they are to stop believing in a God, or at least have doubts about it. What, I, what bothers me are those people who claim to have no doubts about uh, uh, Jesus being resurrected and we're going to heaven or hell based on our belief. Yeah. I tend to think that they probably do have doubts, only don't want to admit it. And that could be one of the reasons that they're angry just to hear of the existence of atheists, because that mm -hmm. might put into question uh, what uh, their beliefs are. Yeah. And nobody wants to be wrong, too, is the other, I think, is a part of it, too. Everybody wants to be right. They want to, they want to know that they're right. They don't want to believe that I've had the wrong idea about things about about how the universe works for 30 years of my life and now all of a sudden here's some jerk on the internet telling me <laughs> telling me that, that I've, I've been wrong this whole time yeah that their life has been wasted essentially for a lot of the right. religious people who have lived for yeah. that well it's true because if you're if you've lived so much of your life just to please this this thing this person this imaginary you know, guy in the sky, and then you realize, oh shit, I've been I've been living for the wrong purpose. Like that mm -hmm. that hat that has to mess with you on some level. That's, that's that sounds very depressing. Well, <laughs> well, it does, and I I think though um, when we were talking to David Silverman on the show, he was pretty much like, I never met an you know somebody who decided or realized they're an atheist that's now unhappy being an atheist. It's like, it's a freeing thing at that point in a way though, to not have to live for the imaginary friend anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and now yourself. we just have, yeah. And, and you just have endless anxiety over the futility of life. So. Well, yeah. I, I <laughs> think that you're right personally, but then there are people who are afraid to come out because fear of losing friends or yeah. whatever. But I've known people who, like at work, who have gradually come out and then been pleasantly surprised that there are other atheists who feel the same. Yeah. So I think the more people that come out, the more comfortable it is for other people to come out. Well, and, and just having our own community. And that's why, I mean, I... Like, I think the work that, that you've done and Secular Coalition does and, and all of these organizations are so important to just give a voice and to give that sense of belonging in a way, too, that there, there are a lot of us. And, you know, mm -hmm. the world's yeah. not such a small, small place and we're not alone in, in our atheism. Yeah, I, I know. When I was growing up and then living in Massachusetts at a liberal university, you know, I didn't much need a community of people who didn't believe in God. That was probably the default of people that I associated with. And if there were any uh, Christians, they kept quiet about it. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to South Carolina that I felt, not that I personally needed a community because I was happy within my academic community, but when I found out how many people were living a lie because they were atheists, but couldn't come out to anybody about it. That's when I saw the need to form an atheist community, just like uh, churches form their communities, uh, just because we're human beings and want to associate at times with like-minded people where you can be yourself. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to, I guess, wrap up by like thanking you for, for the work that you've done for all of these years and for, you know, like I, I really enjoyed your book and reading your stories of, of life as, you know, as an atheist in America. So, um, I hope that everybody will go pick up your book after they listen, but, um, we'll, we'll have links to everything in our yeah, in the notes to the show mm -hmm. and, you know, secular coalition, everything so that they can, everyone can check out 
all of all of the great work that you and and the people you associate with have been doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. I, I've enjoyed it very much. And even though I said I'd rather talk to religious people just to give them ideas, uh, I very much enjoyed talking to you guys. Well, thank you. <laughs> we, we're very happy to have you on. And, um, yeah, yes, absolutely. we hope to have you on again. I'd be happy to be on again. Before we go, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast podcast this week. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to premium content, extended interviews, and early access to episodes and interviews. And we understand not everybody can financially contribute to the show, and that's totally okay. But if you can, just like James, Alice, the trio of Michaels, Chris, Sarah, Janet, and Amanda have done, we would be incredibly grateful. You can also please consider leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes comments and suggestions you can reach out to us at podcast at ascienceenthusiast.com and our full podcast archive is available at ascienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast and you can also follow the podcast on facebook follow my page at science enthusiast or natalie's page skeptical parenting and this week's quote of the week is who is more humble the scientist who looks at the universe with an open mind and accepts whatever the universe has to teach us or somebody who says everything in this book must be considered the literal truth and never mind the fallibility of all the human beings involved. And that is from Carl Sagan. And if you managed to make it this far into the episode, thank you so much for listening and so much for your support, telling your friends about us and everything. We are closing in as I record this on... 50,000 total downloads of the show since we started it earlier this summer and that is just absolutely ridiculous and I know Natalie and I both appreciate it and I want to say a personal thank you to Natalie for all the work that she does on this show uh, planning it, planning guests, getting it organized and with without Natalie the show would be face down dead in a ditch somewhere so thank you so much Natalie and speaking of planning, next week we are going to be joined by two special guests to uh, <laughs> help us break down the movie Consumed, which is an anti-GMO conspiracy propaganda movie. I, I hate even calling it a movie. I thought it was actually a documentary whenever I first heard about it, whenever I was first reading about it, but then no, it is actually a full-on movie they try to have a plot they have danny glover then they kill him off spoiler alert it's a whole thing this whole movie starts out really slow and then it just turns into the hot mess express and it's going to be a lot of fun for us to break it down so i hope you listen to it and thank you for listening this week the music you heard tonight was written and performed by adam johnson and was used with his permission you can contact adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC, all rights reserved.